Chapter forty two of Jacob Faithful by Captain Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Chapter forty two in which I take possession of my own house and think that it looks very ill furnished without a wife. Tom's discharge is sent out, but by accident it never reaches him. I take my new station in society. On my arrival, the front gates were opened by the gardener's wife, who made me a profound curtsy. The gardener soon afterwards made his appearance hat in hand. Everything was neat and in good order. I entered the house, and as soon as possible rid myself of their obsequious attentions. I wished to be alone. Powerful feelings crowded on my mind. I hastened to Mr. Turnbull's study and sat down in the chair so lately occupied by him. The proud feeling of possession softened into gratitude to heaven, and sorrow at his death came over me, and I remained for a long while in a deep reverie. And all this, and more, much more, are mine, I mentally exclaimed the sailor before the mast the waterman on the river the charity boy the orphan sits down in quiet possession of luxury and wealth what have i done to deserve all this my heart told me nothing or if anything it was almost valueless and i poured forth my soul in thanks to heaven i felt more composed after i had performed this duty and my thoughts then dwelt upon my benefactor I surveyed the rooms, the drawings, the furs, the skins, the harpoons and other instruments, all remaining in their respective places, as when I last had an interview with Mr. Turnbull. I remembered his kindness, his singleness of heart, his honesty, his good sense, and his real worth, and I shed many tears for his loss. My thoughts then passed to Sarah Drummond and I felt much uneasiness on that score. Would she receive me, or would she still remember what I had been? I recollected her kindness and goodwill towards me. I weighed these and my present condition against my origin and my former occupation, and could not ascertain how the scale might turn. I shall soon see, thought I, to-morrow even may decide the question. The gardener's wife knocked at the door, and announced that my bed was prepared. I went to sleep, dreaming of Sarah, young Tom, the Dominie, and Mary Stapleton. I was up early the next morning, and hastened to the hotel, when, having arranged my person to the best of my power, but at the same time never so little to my satisfaction, I proceeded to the house of Mr. Drummond. I knocked, and this time I was not desired to wait in the hall, but was immediately ushered up into the drawing-room. Sarah Drummond was sitting alone at her drawing. My name was announced as I entered. She started from her chair and blushed deeply as she moved towards me. We joined hands in silence. I was breathless with emotion. Never had she appeared so beautiful. Neither party appeared willing to break silence. At last I faltered out, Miss Drummond, 
and then I stopped. Mr. Faithful, replied she, and then, after a break, how very silly this is. I ought to have congratulated you upon your safe return, and upon your good fortune, and indeed, Mr. Faithful, no one can do so more sincerely. Miss Drummond, replied I, confused, when I was an orphan, a charity boy, and a waterman, you called me Jacob. If the alteration in my prospects induces you to address me in so formal a manner, if we are in future to be on such different terms, I can only say that I wish that I were again Jacob Faithful, the waterman. Nay, replied she, recollect that it was your own choice to be a waterman. You might have been different, very different. You might at this time have been partner with my father, for he said so but last night, when we were talking about you. But you refused all. You threw away your education, your talents, your good qualities, from a foolish pride, which you considered independence. My father almost humbled himself to you, not that it is ever humiliating to acknowledge and attempt to repair a fault. But still, he did more than could be expected from most people. Your friends persuaded you, but you rejected their advice. And, what was still more unpardonable, even I had no influence over you. As long as you punished yourself, I did not upbraid you. But now that you have been so fortunate, I tell you plainly, what? That it is more than you deserve, that's all. You have said but the truth, Miss Drummond. I was very proud and very foolish. But I had repented of my folly long before I was pressed, and I candidly acknowledge that I do not merit the good fortune I have met with. Can I say more? No. I am satisfied with your repentance and acknowledgment. So, now you may sit down and make yourself agreeable. Before I do that, allow me to ask, as you addressed me as Mr. Faithful, how am I to address you? I should not wish to be considered impertinent. My name is Miss Drummond, but those who feel intimate with me call me Sarah. I may reply that my name is Faithful, but those who feel intimate with me call me Jacob. Very true, but allow me to observe that you show very little tact. You should never force a lady into a corner. If I appear affronted when you call me Sarah, then you will do wise to fall back upon Miss Drummond. But why do you fix your eyes upon me so earnestly? I cannot help it and must beg your pardon. But you are so improved in appearance since I last saw you. I thought no one could be more perfect, but... Well, that's not a bad beginning, Jacob. I like to hear of my perfections. Now follow up your butt. I hardly know what I was going to say, but I think it was that I do not feel as if I ought or can address you otherwise than as Miss Drummond. Oh, you've thought better of it, have you? Well, I begin to think myself that you look so well in your present dress, and have become so very different a person, that I ought not to address you by any other name than Mr. Faithful. So now we are agreed. That's not what I meant to say. 
Well, then, let me know what you did mean to say. This puzzling question fortunately did not require an answer, for Mr. Drummond came into the room and extended his hand. My dear Jacob, said he, in the most friendly manner, I'm delighted to see you back again, and to have the pleasure of congratulating you on your good fortune. But you have business to transact, which will not admit of any delay. You must prove the will, and arrange with the lawyers as soon as possible. Will you come now? All the papers are below, and I have the whole morning to spare. We will be back to dinner, Sarah, if Jacob has no other engagement. I have none, replied I, and shall be most happy to avail myself of your kindness. Miss Drummond, I wish you a good morning. Au revoir, Mr. Faithful, replied Sarah, curtsying formally with a mocking smile. The behaviour of Mr. Drummond towards me was most kind and parental, and my eyes were often suffused with tears during the occupation of the morning. The most urgent business was got through, and an interview with Mr. Turnbull's solicitor put the remainder in progress. Still, it was so late when we had accomplished it that I had no time to dress. On my return, Mrs. Drummond received me with her usual kindness. I narrated during the evening my adventures since we parted, and took the opportunity to acknowledge to Mr. Drummond how bitterly I had repented my folly, and I may add ingratitude towards him. Jacob, said he, as we were sitting at the tea-table with Mrs. Drummond and Sarah, I knew at the time that you were toiling on the river for shillings that you were the inheritor of thousands for I not only witnessed but read the will of Mr. Turnbull. But I thought it best that you should have a lesson which you would never forget in after-life. There is no such thing in this world as independence, unless in a savage state. In society we are all mutually dependent upon each other. Independence of mind we may have, but no more. As a waterman you were dependent upon your customers as every poor man must be upon those who have more means. And in refusing my offers, you were obliged to apply for employment to others. The rich are as entirely dependent upon others as the poor. They depend on them for their food, their clothes, their necessities, and their luxuries. Such ever will be the case in society. And the more refined the society may be, the more civilized its parts, the greater is the mutual dependence. Still, it is an error originating in itself from high feelings, and therefore must be considered as an error on the right side. But recollect how you might have thrown away, had not you, in the first place, secured such a friend as Mr. Turnbull, and secondly, if the death of that friend had not so soon put you in possession. I was but too ready to acknowledge the truth of these remarks. The evening passed away so rapidly that it was midnight before I rose to take my leave, and I returned to the hotel as happy in my mind, and as grateful as ever any mortal could possibly be. The next day I removed to the house left me by Mr. Turnbull, and the first order I gave was for a wherry. 
such was the force of habit i could not do without one and half my time was spent upon the river pulling every day down to mr drummond's and returning in the evening or late at night thus passed away two months during which i occasionally saw the domine the stapletons and old tom beazley i had exerted myself to procure tom's discharge and at last had the pleasure of telling the old people that it was to go out by the next packet by the drummonds i was received as a member of the family there was no hindrance to my being alone with sarah for hours and although i had not ventured to declare my sentiments they appeared to be well understood as well by the parents as by sarah herself two days after i had communicated this welcome intelligence to the old couple as i was sitting at breakfast attended by the gardener and his wife for i had made no additions to my establishment what was my surprise at the appearance of young tom who entered the room as usual laughing as he held out his hand tom exclaimed i why how did you come here by water jacob as you may suppose but how have you received your discharge is the ship come home i hope not the fact is i discharged myself jacob what did you desert even so i had three reasons for so doing in the first place i could not remain without you in the second my mother wrote to say mary was taking up with a sodger and the third was i was put into the report for punishment and should have been flogged as sure as the captain had a pair of epaulets well but sit down and tell me all about it you know your discharge is obtained yes thanks to you jacob all the better for now they won't look after me all's well that ends well after you went away i presume i was not in the very best of humours and that rascal of a master's mate who had us pressed thought proper to bully me beyond all bearing one day he called me a lying scoundrel upon which i forgot that i was on board a man-of-war and replied that he was a confounded cheat and that he had better pay me his debt of two guineas for bringing him down the river he reported me on the quarter-deck for calling him a cheat and captain maclean who you know won't stand any nonsense heard the arguments on both sides upon which he declared that the conduct of the master's mate was not that of an officer or a gentleman and therefore he should leave the ship and that my language to my superior officer was subversive to the discipline of the service and therefore he should give me a good flogging now jacob you know that if the officer don't pay their debts captain maclean always does and with interest into the bargain so finding that i was in for it and no mistake i swam ashore the night before black monday and made my way to miramichi without any adventure except a tussle with the sergeant of marines whom i left for dead about three miles out of the town at miramichi i got on board of a timber ship and here i am i am sorry that you deserted nevertheless replied i it may come to mischief never fear the people on the river know that i have my discharge 
and I'm safe enough. Have you seen Mary? Yes, and all's right in that quarter. I shall build another wherry, wear my badge and dress, and stick above bridge. When I'm all settled, I'll splice, and live along with the old couple. But will Mary consent to live there? It is so quiet and retired that she won't like it. Mary Stapleton has given herself airs enough in all conscience, and has had her own way quite enough. Mary Beasley will do as her husband wishes, or I will know the reason why. We shall see, Tom. Bachelors' wives are always best managed, they say. But now you want money to buy your boat. Yes, if you'll lend it to me. I don't like to take it away from the old people, and I'll pay you when I can, Jacob. No, you must accept this, Tom, and when you marry you must accept something more, replied I, handing the notes to him. With all my heart, Jacob, I never can repay you for what you have done for me, and so I may just as well increase the debt. That's good logic, Tom. Quite as good as independence is it not jacob better much better as i know to my cost replied i laughing tom finished his breakfast and then took his leave after breakfast as usual i went to the boat-house and unchaining my wherry pulled up the river which i had not hitherto done my attendance upon sarah having invariably turned the bow of my wherry in the opposite direction I swept by the various residences on the banks of the river, until I arrived opposite to that of Mr. Warncliffe, and perceived a lady and gentleman in the garden. I knew them immediately, and as they were standing close to the wall, I pulled in and saluted them. "'Do you recollect me?' said I to them, smiling. "'Yes,' replied the lady, "'I do recollect your face. Surely!' It is Faithful, the waterman. No, I am not a waterman. I am only amusing myself in my own boat. Come up, replied Mr. Warncliffe. We can't shake hands with you at that distance. I made fast my wherry and joined them. They received me most cordially. I thought you were not a waterman, Mr. Faithful, although you said that you were, said Mrs. Warncliffe. Why did you deceive us in that way? Indeed, at that time I was, from my own choice and my own folly, a waterman. Now I am so no longer. We were soon on the most intimate terms, and I narrated part of my adventures. They expressed their obligations to me, and requested that I would accept their friendship. Would you like to have a row on the water? It is a beautiful day, and if Mrs. Warncliffe will trust herself, oh, I should like it above all things. Will you go, William? I will run for a shawl. In a few minutes we were all three embarked, and I rowed them to my villa. They had been admiring the beauty of the various residences on the banks of the Thames. How do you like that one? inquired I of Mrs. Warncliffe. It is very handsome, and I think one of the very best. That is mine, replied I. Will you allow me to show it to you? Yours? Yes, mine. 
but I have a very small establishment, for I am a bachelor. We landed, and after walking about the grounds, went into the house. Do you recollect this room? said I to Mr. Warncliffe. Yes, indeed I do. It was here that the box was opened, and my uncle's. But we must not say anything about that. He is dead. Dead? Yes. He never held up his head after his dishonesty was discovered. He pined and died within three months, sincerely repenting what he had attempted. I accepted their invitation to dinner, as I rode them back to their own residence, and afterwards had the pleasure of enrolling them among my sincerest friends. Through them I was introduced to Lady Auburn and many others, and I shall not forget the old housekeeper recognising me one day when I was invited to Lady Auburn's villa. Bless me, what tricks you young gentlemen do play! Only to think how you asked me for water, and how I pushed the door in your face, and wouldn't let you rest yourself. But if you young gentlemen will disguise yourselves, it's your own faults, and you must take the consequences. My acquaintances now increased rapidly, and I had the advantage of the best society. I hardly need observe that it was a great advantage, for although I was not considered awkward, still I wanted the polish which can only be obtained by an admixture with good company. The reports concerning me were various, but it was generally believed that I was a young man who had received an excellent education, and might have been brought forward, but that I had taken a passion for the river, and had chosen to be a waterman in preference to any other employment, that I had since come into a large fortune, and had resumed my station in society. How far the false was blended with the true, those who have read my adventures will readily perceive. For my part, I cared little what they said, and I gave myself no trouble to refute the various assertions. I was not ashamed of my birth, because it had no effect upon the Drummonds. Still, I knew the world too well to think it necessary to blazon it. On the whole, the balance was in my favour. There was a degree of romance in my history, with all its variations, which interested, and, joined to the knowledge of my actual wealth, made me to be well received, and gained me attention wherever I went. One thing was much to my advantage. My extensive reading, added to the good classical education which I had received. It is not often in society that an opportunity occurs when any one can prove his acquisitions, but when it does come, they always make an impression. And thus did education turn the scale in my favour, and every one was much more inclined to believe the false rather than the true versions of my history. End of chapter 42